pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. If we're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water, leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice on <laughs> it. I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> When will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Agreement with me, Catherine, and Michelle. Every episode, we bring you one weird thing, one pop culture thing, and one research thing. Then we try to make them all fit together into a sensible, may sometimes sensible, into a cohesive message, fortune cookie line. Um, I am now keeping very good records and I have written in my notes, Michelle goes first, episode 12. Michelle's ready. So, Are you ready for your weird thing? Well, as I told you, as I texted you on Monday and said, I've got all my things already this week. Uh, we record on Thursdays. So that was normally I don't have them till like Thursday morning. So I was really proud Same. of myself. <laughs> and then Catherine texted back that she also had them. So these have been, we found them early. They've had time to marinate. I hope I'm not setting the expectations too high, but. You're getting quality and maybe something terrible is going to happen because we both said, yeah, we're ready. Beginning yep. of the week, we got them. They're good. And then uh, like an hour, a few hours before recording was supposed to happen, my power went out. So, so the universe, universe is <laughs> trying to stop us. So but, let's, let's do this. But we persist. All right. So my weird thing is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take – I have a specific weird thing it's going to end up on, but I'm going to set the mood a little bit. Ooh, so have you – lately gone to a website that still uses flash player and then everything just breaks no i have not okay so i i found i do i end up in a lot of strange places on the internet because uh of the ghostwriting gigs so like i'm always uh, yes. i'm always researching like strange things twenty thousand dollar lampshades exactly yes so um Ever so often, I'll just go someplace where it's like clearly like it was at one point a very well-established website, but it was built on Flash and no one ever updated it. And now if you open it, it just like spazzes out your whole computer, right? Um, Really? Well, I mean, on that website, like it doesn't like break your computer, but um, that website is just not, it's not functional anymore. Um, And it made me think about the fact that I recently had this experience. So everything now is like, HTTPS, the um, it, secure and things that run off HTTP. So I know, again, from ghostwriting, I know that like internal links, like blogs don't want HTTP links because Google ranks them as lower or less safe. And so um, you, your, your rankings will go down if you have HTTP links instead of HTTPS links. And so um, usually it's as simple as just like, if you have like a WordPress site, you can go in and tell it like you need to change this to the secure one or whatever. 
But I have an old blog that I wrote on Blogger, which I don't even think people still do things on Blogger anymore, that has literally like 1,500 posts on it or something like that. I mean, like over a thousand posts. And you know, some of all them- All written by you? All written by me. Because um, I, I wrote it for like- yeah, You've had it for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I started it when I was pregnant and my daughter is now 10 and a half. So we're not quite 10 and a half, but 10. And so- it, had it it was like 11 years ago and I did it for I mean I actually I the reason that I went in and looked at it is because I made a post like just a week ago because it was something that I wanted to write about that I didn't have like a place to write about it like it was it was very personal and it was too long for like a Facebook post or whatever so I just I was like oh I have a blog that I haven't written on in two years but I'll just go there and that's when I realized like oh this is a mess on the back end like it is just not like so many things are not functional anymore and that made me think about there was like I'm not this is not like a humble brag like but for a little while I was like a blogger like I got mentioned you on were. like oh, yeah lists like people came like um I was making a little bit of money doing it like it was never like a career or anything but I but you had heat and you were like titled and um so somebody had approached me about this thing and I don't know if it still exists or not but I have never heard of it again called sent up and it was kind of like an early idea sort of like patreon and it was where people could just kind of like or like that tip jar they have now where you can like tip the writer. Um, yeah. So they, they, this was- Or buy me a coffee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, I mean, this was back in like 2012, maybe 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. And all the content creators were just realizing like, oh shit, like this is not gonna work. Um, and I was just listening to the How I Built This on Patreon. And uh, do you do you know how Patreon got started? Because it's a pretty interesting story. No, I don't. So it was started by a guy who was in a band called Pamplemousse. Do you remember them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, they, so their big hit was a cover of Beyonce's All the Single Ladies that was in kind of this like throaty, almost bluesy cover of it, right? And um, but, but they made original music. So that's a, that's a, at the time they were dating, they're now husband and wife. And they, they made original music. And this was right at the time when like iTunes still existed, but YouTube also existed. So you could break through on YouTube and then sell stuff on iTunes and make a real living as like an artist making music out of your own, you know, home studio or whatever. Right. And so, but they were right there at that cusp. So like the, they put out that hit, they got millions of views on YouTube and then um, they sold, like, I think he said, like, $20,000 of iTunes sales for, for, like, some singles in one month. And they were like, oh, we can make a career out of this, right? Like, they were really excited. And they invested in, like, building a, a home recording studio in their garage. And, like, they really, like, put all of this work into it. And they were like, this is what we're going to do for a living. And we get to live the dream, you know, or this, we're a couple and we get to build our entire life around this art we love. And then streaming services hit. And that was just, you couldn't sell stuff on iTunes anymore. Like that was not, yeah. and that's so weird. I rem oh man, that's a blast from the past. I remember buying songs. Right. And I mean, that was pretty cool. Cause you could just buy a song instead of having to one buy song. a $20 album and then find out that you only liked one song on it. Right. Yeah. Um, so he, he talked about how he, and I recommend listening to this, um, the, how I built this, the NPR podcast for, 
because it's, it's a long one too. Um, but he talked about how sank their whole savings, $10,000 into creating this video that he, he had to like hand make in their studio, all these like little moving parts. It was kind of like a kind of Rube Goldberg machine-ish. And there was, there were robots and things. So it was a lot of physical labor on his part. And he was like, I'm going to put this up on YouTube. I spent $10,000 on it. He didn't mean to spend $10,000. It just kind of was a project that kind of got away from him. Sometimes that happens. (laughs) Projects, man. And I haven't been there $10,000 worth, but I've been there. But in time, I like time <laughs> in time. Oh, I, I will just spend $0, but if you average my wage, I've spent millions of dollars. On projects. <laughs> so he spent time and money and he's like, I'm going to put this up on YouTube and it'll probably get a million views like this week. Cause he was really popular yeah. and he's like, and I will make a hundred dollars. And then no one's going to talk about it again. Cause that was just like the, um, so that was his, his reason for making Patreon. And, um, it just made me think about that old sent up thing. Cause that idea was, and the the person reached out to me and was like, Hey, I'm trying to get buy-in from, uh, bloggers. And I think you would be a great fit for our program. And the idea was you would purchase, like you could purchase it in like, $5, $15, $20, whatever. And that gave you a, like, I I think every credit was a penny, right? So like if you've purchased $15 worth of this, you would have 1500 credits that you could just spend across the internet on anybody who had this button on their platform. So, and it would just like one click was one credit. So if you really loved a thing, you could click it 10 times and give them 10 credits. And then um, at the end of each month, the company would like give out the, the sense to everybody who earned them. So it was never designed to be like, you know, you're going to make, you're going to become a millionaire off this, but it was supposed to be a way that people could spread their, because I, and I still think that this, I'm actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, I kind of want to look it up to see if it still exists because. Good idea. It sounds like buy me a coffee where it's not your living, but it's so you can do something you enjoy doing anyway. Well, and the thing that makes that so much more sustainable is like, there are, I don't know, 500 people that I would love to give a dollar to monthly on Patreon, but I'm not going to give $500 a month on Patreon, but I would subscribe for $50 a month to sent up or something like it, where I could then just click and spend my cents wherever I happen to be that month. Right. Because also on Patreon, the process of signing up for everyone's individually is quite a barrier instead of just click, 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 click. Yeah. So like, and, and I like Patreon and I think it's a good model. And I think that, uh, listening to the creator talk about it made me like it even more because I feel like he really truly was creating something for artists to, to be able to sustainably create things. Um, and that can definitely be more of a full living. Yeah. But I think we just like, we need something where we can like I'm getting off track from my weird thing, but, <laughs> but no, but this is fascinating. I'm really interested in this. I talked your ear off the other day about sub stacks and I'm well, very, and that, interested that was in fascinating that. to me too. Like all of these, but I think so much of them puts so much individual responsibility between an individual reader or listener or whatever, and an individual creator. And that there is like, there's a need still for that kind of collective pooling of like, exactly. let me buy into a thing where I can spend my, my points or whatever across different. So like maybe this week I listened to three songs and read two blog posts so I can put my five clicks there. But the next week I watched 
one really good play so I can put all five of them there. You know, like I can, yeah. I can spread it around. Um, but anyway, all that to say that I think that that program probably went defunct so many attempts and efforts and things went def- defunct. And my, and my poor little blog um, is definitely like, it is not in good shape. Like you can still go there, but it is, it's definitely very dated. It is and on the back end. And I can't, I can't switch it over to HTTPS. I was trying to, and it Aww. wouldn't let me. And then I ended up like, I was like, this is for what, why am I doing this? This is way too many hours of my life to try to make this work. And so, paying in time, paying in time. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I mean, I was sitting there, I was like, what do I do with this stuff? Like, this is like, obviously not all 1500 of those blog posts are worth keeping, but probably at least like two or 300 of them yeah. are things that I would, I at least would like to be able to see in my old age. Like a lot of them were very personal reflections on like pregnancy and the early days of parenting. And like, I don't want them to just go away into the internet abyss, but I also am not going to keep like updating that and trying to keep it like retrofitting it into whatever the next thing is when it, I'm not actually using that space anymore. Um, and it made me think about, have you been to the Homestar Runner webpage lately? Yes. Uh, yes. They just, something just happened where it got updated or something, right? They, they brought released, it to my attention. They re- it was, um, I think it was like the 10th anniversary of a specific episode or something. So they, maybe the Trogdor episode. I feel like it had, like, to, be it had to be more than, it had to be more than 10 though. It has to be more than 10 because. Maybe it was oh, 12. Gosh. Could it Let's have been play 20? Michelle and Catherine feel old. That was the height of like early college, late high school, early college. If it was late, like, it was probably the 20. 18, 18, eight, 15 to 18 years we're talking ago. Or, so um, they made a, a new homepage because, you know, they had the homepage where you could click on all the different stuff. But they it was all like Flash, right? Their yeah. entire website was built on Flash, and it was yeah. really, really cool. But they went through and retrofitted, so you can't. You know how there used to be all the little like Easter eggs, where if you clicked yeah. at the end, it would do that. Those pieces are not were not able to be translated over. But they retrofitted their entire website to this new thing so that it's still functional and they're not creating new content, but they just, um, and I actually, I bought meeples for my board games and the characters. Cause they're like, if you want to help support us, cause this is still costing money, even though we're not making any new content. Um, and so they have some stuff in their store and the meeples are, I, they brought me like, they're probably my best purchase of 2020. Cause we, we play them on all of our board games. Absolutely um, going to go buy them. I mean, that was, if you, if, if I'm thinking of all the nostalgia bombs ever from my not childhood, but right. Late high school, college. <sighs> I'm always Hamsar, the, um, the misspelled home star. That's, that's my character when I play with the meeple. I just think in high school, we all did Teen Girl Squad and I had to be the really weird one. They're like, you're the weird one. <laughs> anyway. And it's the popular one. Who, one is the one doesn't know what we're talking about. If you do not know what we mean by Homestar Runner or Teen Girl Squad, you have got to go check it out. And you can because they retrofitted their website to make it all still functional for you. So my weird thing is, is I'm just very curious about what's going to happen with all of these, like... Because how quickly something becomes a relic is real, real fast, right? Like there's, 
I don't think there's ever been a time in our history where so much material would become inaccessible through easy means so quickly, right? Like, it's not like we've had shifts in how we communicate. And, you know, like if I went and found some ancient scrolls, I would be like, oh, I can't read this. But that happens over hundreds or thousands of years, not 10. And you can still like access them and you could like reverse engineer it. But how would you reverse engineer a totally broken flashlight site? Right. Unless the creators take the time to go do it because they're the ones that have access. I mean, I guess maybe some people have that knowledge, but who's going to go do it for this many things, right? Like who's going to go put in the time and money and effort? So like how many- You know that because of how hard drives work and they're so fragile and you have to um, plug them in every now and then, if you don't, if you don't constantly- plug hard drives in they can't just sit like external hard drives for your your computer can't just sit or they will just stop working i did not know that so if you are going to archive something on a hard drive you have to um like go and plug it in every now and then i think it was toy story 2 or toy story 3 or maybe the original toy story one of the toy story movies was because of they didn't store it correctly, was deleted, the whole thing. And like some intern or some PA had illegally made a copy to like go take home. And because of that, it was saved. But they would have lost all of Toy Story. Oh my gosh. Because it's just so hard. Digital technology is so hard to to actually maintain. Yeah. Because I mean, it's it's an ephemeral thing. Like it's not... I mean, film, like old school film, sometimes spontaneously combusts and lights on fire too, but. Yeah. I don't know. So that's, my weird thing is what will our solutions be when just ghosting on it is so much easier than actually going and like tending to that garden, right? Like, I don't want to What are you going to do with your blog? I have no idea. Could print it all out. Print it all out. Find it. Giant binder of like not like, but so many of it has like hyperlinks and you know like I. I mean, you would still get the gist of it without that, right? But like, it's. I mean, there's an artist named Kenneth Goldsmith who has an art project I love, which is um, it's a conceptual work in which he's printing out the entire internet, which is very cool. So maybe maybe my blog will live on there. There you go. Get in, get in contact with Ken. I think you should. I kind of want to see how much would that cost in ink? <laughs> well, and then and the, the ink, printer ink from computers fades super fast. Right? And then part of me was like, well, I could like, you Maybe. know, even, even though it's not really built for long form, like I could tra- put them all on like Facebook or something. But then Facebook couldn't might not last you know like there's like I where would I even put them where people would read them like I and this wouldn't be all of them these would be curated for ones that still like have some meaning or purpose um yeah I don't know I don't know what you have to curate them you have to make one of those uh what are those called those internet services where you can like make a photo book yeah (laughs) which is such a roundabout thing my husband and I, like, our wedding photos, which you pay a lot for. A wedding lot. photos are that expensive. Was, that was the, our biggest expense. Yeah, ours too. Those are sitting on a CD-ROM somewhere in a box. 
I don't know if that CD-ROM would work now. And we never printed them out. Oh, we are, because we were so poor when we got married. We were like fresh out. We were in graduate school and um, they wanted so much money for that CD because they made us a book. So we have a physical book that they made. Uh. But um, they told us that, if it was a year after the wedding, we could come back and buy the CD and the rights to print for like 10% of, because I guess at that point they're like, well, we'd rather make some money off of it than nothing. So, and I bet most people don't come back and do that. And everybody wants their wedding pictures right away, but we did do that. So like we had the, like we printed off some, but I don't even know where those are because I don't keep physical stuff. So like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, right. Like cleaning my actual house is hard enough. And now I have to clean all my digital houses too. Like I can't, you have a digital house, Michelle. You have a digital town, city, world. A digital mansion. I have been like, you know, I've been on the internet for a while. There's a live journal out there somewhere. Ooh, <laughs> heavy duty. I mean, I, I, I mean, want, that was like 16 year old me. No one needs to see that. Oh, I need to. <laughs> I need to. Um, I once. And it's still out there for the world to find. And I'm like, you, I don't want to get rid of it. Because I think someday, like you said, it would be really nice to have that um, memory, that time capsule. But I had like a WordPress blog for the whole, all of my PhD while I lived in England. And you forget also these, sometimes, so you worry about these things, but you forget they're out there. And so it was very off the cuff. I'm like, nobody that isn't my family or friends are reading this. It was pretty stupid. It was writing about my life. And I then totally forgot about it. I started one of my first teaching jobs at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I was trying to impress a curator in a museum there. And I went to meet him in person. And he's like, oh, I've read your blog. And I was like, just horrified. I was like, so, dude, no, please no. And that's how he knew me. And I just couldn't remember who that person was or what I had written. So he like knew me. And you had no me. idea. I didn't even know or remember. Oh, that's so freaky. I, I tried. Um, so my, my blog, my actual domain name expired and I had forgotten the password to even get into like get back to it. And I started getting Facebook messages from people to be like, Hey, I went to go. And this was years, years later. And they were like, Hey, I went to go look for this old post of yours that I really need for this um, project I'm doing. Do you know where it went? And I was like, uh, and that's how I found out that my domain had expired because people were messaging me. And so I was like, well, I'll just pay to get put the domain. But now it's like this, you know, really more than that. It's a whole burden. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm remembering, I'm having flashes. Like I wrote like a five page defense of Lana Del Rey when people were mean to her on Saturday Night Live. I remember talking to you about that and you're like, well, Catherine, maybe it's not about Lana Del Rey and it's something about you you need to look into. (laughs) Why are you writing so many words about be nice to Lana Del Rey? I I was not one to talk. I've written a lot of words on behalf of a lot of, um, today I was going off on people about Dr. Seuss. So, you know, I, I feel like it's, there's still. People were so mean to her after her SNL performance. She's done some things that are not defensible. But that wasn't one of them. But back in 2000, when she like was new on the scene, 
singing on SNL, back off. Now I wouldn't write it. Sorry. Anyway. Oh man, the digital traces we leave. I had a conversation today about how um like the doppelganger is is really coming back into popular horror. And I'm like, it's no wonder, right? It's no wonder because we have to live with our digital selves. There well, are these versions of ourselves that we recognize but don't that we that follow us around. So there's that. There's the like, oh, I can never escape this. But there's also the, oh, how do I keep this? Like it's, you don't get, I, I mean, it's the worst of both worlds, right? So that's my weird thing. Go sit that's with nice. that, everyone. Have fun. Print out your whole blog. Print it all for <laughs> 10 years. Okay. So my weird thing, I'm, I'm excited about. Um, I, you know, last week I've been exploring my yard. I built a snowman. I said week, see? Um, you did. <laughs> last episode. I built a snowman and that snowman had carrots as we discussed. And so I was out in my yard and this just made me feel like my big backyard, which of course, because of COVID, that's my space. That's what I'm exploring now. Um, that's where the excitement happens. And so um, we were waiting to see what would happen to the carrots on my snowman. Like the squirrels are going to eat it. And then the carrots were gone and there was a, just a big old pile of black beans, which were not black beans. I sent a photo of them to my dad to be like, what's this? What ate my carrot? And um, yeah, it was deer poop. So that was first very exciting. We have high fences around our backyard and I'm just excited that deer jumped the fences to come eat the carrots. Yeah. I send my dad photos of poop. That's something we do. Um, not mine, just animal poop. Right, right. And he told me what it was. So. That actually, maybe it's from growing up in the country, but that did not strike me as weird at all. I'm like, yeah, how else would you identify? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, all this to say, I'm just, I'm very into what's happening in my yard now. So I was walking around these piles of poop and such. And I was, I was out there because I was making my way to my squirrel cafeteria, which I have discussed in earlier episodes, because I am too lazy to learn and go through the processes of actually composting. But I am not lazy enough to throw my food and organic scraps away with the rest of my trash. So I have a separate bin for food scraps, organic matter, but I don't compost them. I just dump them out in a raised garden bed that should be for planting things, but it's a squirrel cafeteria. The squirrels come and eat everything. Lately, we have had plumbing problems at my house. Our bath and shower got really, really clogged. And we learned that our house is really old. The plumber was like, these are insane old pipes. This is crazy. He had to like cut the pipes, which he usually doesn't have to do. He's like, if you had tried to unclog this yourself because of what the pipes are made out of, because they're so old, you would have destroyed them. So we're being very careful with our pipes. Because of that, we are not dumping our coffee grounds down the sink anymore, which apparently isn't great to do. I've always done that. So included in my food scraps for the squirrel cafeteria now are did you, used. Did you make yourself really caffeinated squirrels? Is that where this is going? Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish. That's now this is going to be disappointing. Oh, um, no, I wish I just got my squirrels crazy. 
So yeah, included in the food scraps is now a pile, an ever-growing mound, because the squirrels don't touch it. The squirrels that makes don't more want sense. it. There's the food they eat, and then there's just a growing mound of dried coffee grounds, used coffee grounds. I, and this is going to become important, I promise, because we use a French press. That's how we make our coffee. We put it through the French press, then we dump them out into the bucket. Bucket goes outside. And so I noticed lately that when I go put scraps out, there are so many bees. And there were never bees before. Bees, tons of bees, dozens and dozens and dozens of bees. So I was like, why are there so many bees? It has to be the coffee grounds because that's the only thing that has changed. Michelle, so many bees. It's like the end of Wicker Man over here. <laughs> and so I looked it up and bees love caffeine. They really? love it. They, they, they go crazy for caffeine. A lot of plants naturally have small levels of caffeine. To attract and, bees? Yeah. And in studies, bees will go for those over plants that don't have caffeine. And so scientists have done studies on this. Caffeine improves the memory of bees. So you're making genius bees. I'm helping bees. I'm making them smarter. But then I got worried because this is a huge pile of coffee grounds and there are a lot of bees on it. And I said, oh no, can they self-regulate? Is this like did you create like a addiction issue for the bee yes. community? Yes. Are they not, they're not out pollinating things because we got this old pile of caffeine. Why would we has, go do work? Has my squirrel cafeteria turned into a bee flop house? I don't know. But guess what, Michelle? I did more research and they have done studies that they think, yes, that this particular study Scientists think bees can self-regulate caffeine. They put out coffee, brewed coffee in liquid form. They put out coffee grounds that had not been processed, right? You put the coffee grounds and then you put water on them. You plunge it, you drink the coffee, but they put the coffee grounds out before you do that. And then they put out coffee grounds that had been used, that had had the water poured on them plunged, yum, yum, drink coffee, dump them out. The bees only went to the used coffee grounds, which had the least amount of caffeine in it. So they can self-regulate. They're fine. I'm just out here making more space for bees, improving their memory. It's a win, 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 win. So that's it. That's my weird thing is that bees love coffee and it improves their memory and i'm uh basically saving the world now i guess i just read a thing that like used coffee grounds can be used in place of rock salt as a more eco-friendly um rock salt alternative so ooh, let's dump it in my front yard when it snows put it in my backyard for the bees <laughs> Sure. I'm excited to see. I'm already like that. Those two will be hard to connect just on their own. All right. My pop <laughs> culture thing is, uh, do you know Nicola Coughlin? No. She was from Dairy Girls and most recently in Bridgerton. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I love Dairy Girls. I have not seen Dairy Girls, but it's on my list of things to watch. You have to. It's so good. I've, everybody tells me it's amazing. I just have so many things to watch. But, <laughs> I <yes>. know. <laughs> I know. So um, I just happened across this story, I think in like Elle magazine, you know, just one of their quick, like, not like the actual magazine, but like their blog, their online version. Um, there's a woman named Amanda Richards, who is a writer launching a new podcast called Big Calf, who openly refers to herself as fat. This is important context. She tweeted during the Golden Globes, the fat girl from Bridgerton is wearing a black cardigan at the Golden Globes because no matter how hot and stylish you are, if you're a fat girl, there will always be a black cardigan you think about wearing, then decide against, but ultimately wear because you feel like you have to. And then Coughlin responded on Twitter with, I thought the cardigan looked ace. Molly Goddard, who is the designer of her dress, used them on her runway with the dresses. That's where the idea came, came from. Also, I have a name. So, oh. so um, and then I saw after this, and I don't know if it was in relation to this or just because she's getting all this much deserved attention for her wonderful acting skills and her Golden Globe attention. Um, although I think Bridgerton was not eligible this i think the timing of when it came out i don't can't i might i might be making that up you gotta watch dairy girls so she is a revelation in that she's amazing so she um was also just talking about people she's like i'm sick of people talking about me as if i'm some like body positive activist by existing right she's like i am not like i am a person this is my body like i'm not making a statement by existing in my body right um which it so as one might predict, Coughlin responding to Amanda Richards got a lot more attention than Amanda Richards would have gotten on her own, right? Yeah. And so people took to Twitter and were angrily telling Amanda Richards things like, uh, how dare you call Coughlin names? Why, why are you trying to make Coughlin feel bad about herself on this big night? And then Richards defended herself by saying, like, no one would blink an eye if I had said the short actor or the, the tall actor or the blonde actor. I'm just using the word fat as a descriptor. You're the ones ascribing all of this um you know moral or demeaning but no one does no <laughs> one does use those words right no one so the thing that was interesting to me was that i think richards ultimately was using all of this as kind of like see this is why we need uh because you know she is one of those like i'm claiming the word fat as you know like it's just a descriptor it doesn't have any but you don't get to decide that for someone else right, right. like and, and you ignore can call yourself fat all day long right go for it go for it try to reclaim that word at the end of the day i'm torn about it though because i'm like there's so many other ways to talk about people than like just the size body. of their body regardless like uh, and I mean, that's kind of what um, Coughlin was saying in that other interview, which is basically like, you need to talk about what I look like at all? Like, can't we just, like, why does that need to be part of the conversation? Like, I am exactly. a human being doing work. Um, and so I guess, I guess my, I just, I find it interesting that well, for one, it seems to me like Richards was kind of using this moment as a promotion for her own upcoming podcast. Yeah. And had kind of, I mean, I, she couldn't have known that Coughlin was going to respond directly to her and get her that much publicity for it. But it definitely did feel like she was trying to like find cultural relevance in, you know, the Golden Globes, this live event that a lot of people are paying attention to, to kind of boost her own 
ax to grind, right? And yeah. I personally think it's an ax worth grinding, right? Like I am, you know, a plus size person who has tried to figure out like how to, how to exist in the world with those, um, the, the connotations around the descriptions that you would use for yourself, right? Like how do you even talk about like, there, there aren't any words that aren't loaded, right? There isn't, there aren't any words that don't carry weight, pun intended. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you don't get to just pick somebody else to be your prop for that work either, right? Like they and it have- assumes so much, A, calling her fat, B, the assumption, the projection involved on that because she has had that relationship with cardigans and cover. Right. Project that much. Whew. Makes me uncomfortable that you're yeah. thinking that much about her getting dressed, that you're thinking. And I understand that like Hollywood is especially a field about body types and looks and fitting this for a role and then getting dressed on the red carpet and what are you wearing and who are you wearing, but not like but that. But we've been calling a lot of that into question anyway, right? Like right. We, we've been calling even those conventions that might seem a little less obviously harmful especially when it comes to female actors to be like, you know, maybe ask me a question that isn't about who I'm wearing tonight or, you right. know, what, what hairstyle I chose or whatever, you know, like that even just, and that's, that's not for women who have to deal with comments about their size. That's just in general. Right. Yeah. So like this idea that just because they were on the red carpet means that it's okay. I don't think that that's, I don't think that's true. And I don't think no. That, yeah, absolutely not. There's, I've been thinking, how am I going to word this? Um, I've been thinking a lot about the theorist Monique Fatigue lately. I think about her all the time. And she is someone who's like a gender abolitionist. And she's like trying to just. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations about this. Yeah. yeah. The, yes. And she's, her kind of, her idea is that like, why do we put so much cultural import on genitals and then that defines everything and that's what we talk about so much and she's like why are genitals more important than like your tonsils or your eyeballs um and we don't get divided into groups based on the color of our eyes and like that's the thing and it's just like the same with weight and you said there's no word right there's no word even if you spin it positively. Mm-hmm. I mean, because even spinning it positively, hate. it's spun against the negative, right? Like you, right. you're making and that's a what statement. She says about gender, yeah. right? That yeah. like woman doesn't exist. It's only against the universal or neutral of man, which is in power, um, which is not, that's just because power says so, right? It's not because bodies that are thinner or way less are more normative it's because that's what we just decided and so every all the other language of it that's what gets descriptors what's against the norm i'm being very deridian here but i just haven't thought about that so much in terms of body size and there's nothing and then that just leads me to the question about why do we have to fucking talk about it right why, why right. is that a descriptor that you ever need to bring up for a person especially on, especially on the red carpet. We're not um, talking about like weight classes for boxing here. Right. Right. It's not like her. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't even 
like you said, she's projecting all these insecurities and choices and decisions in a way that you can't even say like, I mean, and I still think this is kind of gross, but you'll see somebody, you'll see someone and be like, oh, and look, and she's doing it and she's a plus size woman in Hollywood. And I'm like, okay, but like, maybe that isn't how this person wants themselves talked about, right? Like, um, because, yeah, it would be weird to be like, and look at them doing it. I guess, like, we kind of do that. To, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's other examples of where we do that. Like, oh, look at that short basketball player who was so successful. But, but then again. Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> I was just really obsessed with Muggsy Bogues as a child. And he was very short. You know what? He was five foot three. He was my height, which is pretty astounding. Um, but, again, then you're saying it because it's such an anomaly. So it shouldn't be an anomaly to be a fat That's person the problem, who's right? acting, it's right? Such like an anomaly to be an actress who's larger, who's allowed to be visible. Right. That's it, right? She's the, the, we need. Why does it, yeah. The fact that it needs to be pointed out is. Systemically showing us the problem. And I just, yeah, because it's, that also, it makes, I I don't know how problematic this is. It makes me feel extra gross because I've never thought about her in those terms. I hadn't, I didn't think about it that way either. There are some actresses and some people who you are like, well, yeah, they're plus size and that like, but usually it's because they talk about themselves that way. Like I, I feel like I, I mean, it's not like I'm don't notice that people look different from one another. Like, I'm not trying to be like, you know, like, Oh, I don't see size or whatever, but, (laughs) but, but I don't think that like, I mean, that's just not a way that I, go around the world categorizing people, right? Like, I don't just go around and be like, well, you are this size and you are this size. And like, well, where, which section would you buy your clothes from? Like, that's just not how I'm interested in viewing people. Sorry, I'm just very upset about that. Boo. And at the same time, if it's also, I appreciate how dated that feels. Yeah. Because when you first read it, I, I, um, definitely as a teenager and 20 something oh i've had those black cardigans i've i've owned those black cardigans that i threw over everything i had a a whole period of time where i had like very tight black um tank tops that went under every everything in case like i would lift or any flesh would be exposed but now i think you know things are changing slowly but now, no, I don't think we live in a, well, clearly we do and we don't, right? But nowadays, I just think that whole idea of what is more acceptable to be worn is changing in a very positive way. And those rules of cover your arms or you can't wear a crop top or things like that. You saying that about the the stomach being shown in the crop top. Um, when I was in college, which would be about 15 years ago-ish, um, our theater department did I can't remember which which Shakespeare play it was I think it was Hamlet it was Hamlet or Macbeth but they did it like they were all like motorcycle gangs so like it was really like you know but I think it was set in like the 80s maybe there was lots of leather um and so one of the leading women in the play was in a crop top and she, um, she was a larger woman in a crop top. And it was kind of like, I remember seeing me like, Oh wow. She's look like, 
she looks like me and I, I would never put on a crop top. And it, it felt, it felt empowering to see her doing it. Right. But I remember going back to um, my English class the next day and the professor was talking about the play and he did not like the play and he did not like the, how they had, you know, modernized. Like he, he thought it was all just kind of silly. And he's like, and, you know, we had whatever the character's name was. I can't remember with her tummy all out and hers was not a tummy to be seen. Oh. That's how he put it. And I just, I remember that, re- like, I mean, I remember it so well that, like, I can still say it here 15 years later. I, hers was not a tummy to be seen. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that she was in a crop top. It was that her tummy should, like, that that was the problem. Um, and it Hers has- was not a tummy to be seen. Oh. Yeah. And I just remember, that really stuck with me. Because you, and that, that happens, right? That loops. So, and it's why as much as you might want to get mad about like, not mad at it, but as much as it might feel like a drop in the bucket or just lip service to have more diversity in models, right? And to just, and oh, it's all in service of capitalism, but seeing it, seeing it, and then not having that voice of that fucking asshole professor, right? But just seeing it in ads, seeing it more, is, is important because then you go, no, it's, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That I know like, oh, representation matters is something that is um, very complex and that's not enough, of course, and we have to unpack that and we have to go further, but it, it, it that can't be thrown out entirely. No, I mean, sometimes it really matter. is that simple of like, let me see myself in these clothes, let me see myself in this space. Let me see people who I identify with, you know, like I think sometimes it really is that simple of representation. If you had just been allowed to see that tummy and no comment. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I re- one of the things that I blogged about back on my defunct blog was all these, <laughs> um, like this body positivity movement was really, really big in like, probably like 2014 or 15 And um, there was research, like legitimate peer-reviewed research studies that showed that one of the best ways to create positive, like, self-care habits was for people to go and look at images of people who looked like them because it it was a lot harder to hate the, like, parts of their body when they had to look at them on someone else. Like, they, Ah. they, like, could, like, oh, it's okay for my arm to wiggle like that. It's okay for... (laughs) Just did that yeah. because it was just like it was at a moment where I was at like a very healthy weight, but my body moved when I moved, and I was like, "That's not allowed" because I haven't seen it. <laughs> and then I did. I'm like, "Cool, cool, cool." Oh, this is, we're good now. And and, and I, I do hope that's a dated thing that yes. like it becomes less and less. There was an amazing show. Speaking of like British television, um, called how to look better naked, I think, or like something like look better naked. And it was a salacious title, but it was um, with a presenter named Gok Wang, who's really great. And the first thing he did, it was people who needed body confidence and it was giving women body confidence. And they would take the woman and basically the premise of the show was by the end, they made, they took them to a mall and had them walk a catwalk naked in front of strangers. Oh, and so there, it was a very multi-step process for how do we get you confident enough to parade naked in front of strangers. I love British programming. Um, and the first step was they lined up women 
and said, which, and they were in groups and they asked them like, which of these women do you think weigh the same as you? And which of these women do you think weigh less than you? And which of these women do you think weigh more than you? And they would always look at the women and go, oh, they're so beautiful. And those women were all naked because you can show nudity on the BBC as long as it's for education. And they would look at the women and they would go, well, these women are so beautiful. And they would put all of them as weighing less than them. And they're like, actually all these women weigh what you weigh. And they would say all these wonderful things about them and then be like, what, what? And of course, yeah, it was really, that was an important step for them. Yeah. I don't know why that made so, me laugh. Um, go watch Dairy Girls. Immediately. Not immediately. immediately. But I have to finish fun. WandaVision first. Okay. But then Dairy Girls. <laughs> okay. Um, my pop culture is a bit of a stretch for pop culture because I, I saw it on Instagram. So I'm going to say that counts as pop culture. But this is something, and you said, this is a good week for angrying. I am angry. I'm angry and I'm angry and I'm angry about this. And so I want to talk about it. And we have made a podcast platform and I'm going to talk about it. That's what it's for. Angriement. It's in the title. Let's angry about it. Angry about it. Basically, um, so there in Colorado Springs. Well, first, let me ask you, have you heard of a store called Paper Source? Paper Source. Mm Mm-mm. It's like a generic name. I'm sure you have seen one. It's in pretty much any mall I've ever gone to in most states has a paper source. And it's a generic mall store that sells stationery, sells cards, sells notebooks. It's a very generic stationery store. It looks kind of, um, it's nice, it looks nice, called paper source. And there's like a B in the logo. So, Why am I talking to you about Paper Source? There is a store in Colorado Springs where I live called Lady Fingers Letterpress. It is an amazing store. It's run by um, a married couple. They make, it's mainly a printing press where they make their own um, printed cards, right? And greeting cards and they design them. They print them in house. They're very, very cool. And They also have a storefront in downtown Colorado Springs that sells a lot of local things that are awesome. If you know me, you've probably received a letter from Lady Fingers Letters Press because that's like basically where I get most of my stationery now. And it has a special place in my heart. When I came to Colorado Springs, I came here to teach at a university. I first came here for an interview. They put me up in a hotel that was just like on a highway and it was just like gas stations and fast food. And I thought that's what the whole city of Colorado Springs was. And I think I told you, I told my husband, I'm like, I need this job. I guess I'll just live on a highway. And I didn't know that it had a whole flourishing, really nice downtown. And so we moved here with me thinking, I'm gonna live in a highway. Um, But very early on when we moved here, I, learned that they were having a sale of imperfections, like cards that they printed that had slight imperfections. And so you could go fill a giant bag with these cards for like $5. I love a good sale. So we went down 
And it was the first store in Colorado Springs we went to the minute we moved here. And it introduced us to the whole downtown, which is really thriving, which is really lovely. We went into this beautiful store um, and realized it's very progressive. It has, it's super LGBTQ. Um, and we're like, no, it's gonna be okay. This, this is a good city. Like, it's great. We love it. So, A, I still have some of those cards. I bought like 70 cards. And it's just a really nice memory of the first location that I kind of made me feel at home in this city that I live in was Ladyfinger's Letterpress. So on Instagram, we're fast forwarding and they put out an Instagram story yesterday in which one of the owners, um, like I said, she runs it with her wife and they print the cards. That's their main source of income. They have a storefront, but their main source of income is printing and wholesaling cards they design. And so they were talking about how one of their major wholesale buyers is paper source. And they really hadn't bought anything since COVID because COVID they figured, you know, no harm, no foul. But paper source recently put in a massive, massive order from them totaling about $23,000. They're a very small business, right? Both of them work there. They're the only two employees really. And, um, since they're a married couple, that's their whole household income is this store. So $23,000, especially during COVID, is a lot of money. They made the production. They shipped it. The way it works is they don't get paid until 60 days after shipment. Um, they were working on the order. They got an email from paper source saying, hey, we know we're supposed to get this in a month, but can you actually fast track it? We need it this week. And they said, okay, this is a big source of income. They sent it to them fast. I'm dreading where it. this is going. They shipped <laughs> it. And the next week, Paper Source declared bankruptcy. <gasps> and apparently, because they're in this community of small mom and pop card makers, Paper Source did this to many, many small card makers, where they said all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they made a huge order and then fast tracked it and then declared bankruptcy without payment. And so now that's going to like, that could make or break lady fingers. And right? even if they get a settlement somewhere down the line by proving that they did this intentionally, how are you supposed to keep yourself afloat in the meantime? Like, even if you can legally get this set, right, that's going to, oh my goodness, what a terrible thing yeah. to do. Yeah. They did it to quite a few shops. I went on Instagram to paper source to complain. I never do this. This is very unlike me. But I went to just like I complain. Them in I complain at people on the internet constantly. I, I was, was yelling at my senator on Facebook this today. I like <laughs> to spam them in their Instagram comments and be like, "Pay what you owe," and they've disabled their comments. Um, they know it's wrong, and it's just so frustrating because they're a huge corporation. The, so are they folding? Are no, they? You can. They're having a sale right now. Go to their website. They're like stores are open, big sale. So <gasps> not. Oh, so they're going to make money off this order that they stiffed this small. Oh my God. It's early and it's in process, right? So Lady Fingers has asked for them to send that inventory back. So at least they can try to sell it. And you know, I can't say for sure where this is going because it only just happened. And, um, 
but but they seem to think, yeah, this they're not going to see this money because they've declared bankruptcy. And they so even if they get the product back, like that's not, I mean. Yeah, it's a lot of product that they have to move. So I, I know that's not very pop culture but like I said, I mean. I think, I think it fits. It fits. And greeting, it, greeting cards are pop culture. Greeting cards are pop culture. I don't have much to say other than, yeah, I know living in late stage capitalism is terrible. And we're in like this corpo scene where corporations are more important than like corporeal human bodies. But to just see it, um, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, I care more now that it's happening in my backyard. But it is just very, very upsetting to see it happened to such an important business for downtown Colorado Springs. What a terrible thing. Oh, it makes me so mad. So don't buy anything from paper source. Um, and find a local letterpress. Find a local letterpress, I will say. I am going to do some promotion. The, this is airing on my birthday. That's when this episode's coming out, March 11th. If you want to send me a birthday card, not that I'm saying you need to. From Ladyfingers Letterpress? Yeah, or if you want to do something in goodwill spirit for birthdays or for anything, go buy a card from Ladyfinger Letterpress. They have an online store, but also just not for me. I just love talking about my birthday. I love it. But um, they do have a, an online shop and their cards are really, 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 really great. I really like their cards. So I'm going to say... If you feel, if you need to buy some cards, go look at Ladyfingers. I'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mad. We angry. Angry. Research. All right. Do you remember that Yelvis song? What does the fox say? Uh, of course. It was <laughs> everywhere, especially in roller rinks, which is where I was spending a whole lot of time in 2013. Yes, you were. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is a nostalgia bomb, this episode. So if you'll think back to that iconic viral video, you might remember that it had a list of animal sounds and many of them made sense. Like dog goes woof. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. And I know this podcast is already probably going along. Every time I edit these, um, I have little markers for where the sound blocks go and we just keep shooting past them. <laughs> I don't care. I love it. My mom um, send poop photos to my dad. My mom called me yesterday, not by yesterday. I mean, like two months ago, time has no meaning. And she said, do you know the sound foxes make when they have sex? And I said, no, mom. Did she like, make it for you? She didn't, but she demanded that I Google it immediately because she had been sleeping and fox sex woke her up and just scared the bejesus out of her. She said it was so frightening. Well, if it's anything like what the foxes, because after that video, everyone's like, what in the world are they doing? And then if you went and watch like videos of foxes making that, you're like, well, Ashley is fairly close. Like, it's just like this high pitched shrieking sound. Like, I would, I, yeah. And foxes laughing is also something I watch. They laugh? Oh, you have to. Okay, now I'm, I'm I've become my mother. You well, have yeah. to Google foxes laughing. Okay, it's amazing. Okay. Oh goodness. Okay. All right. So Continue. in the Elvis song, they go dog goes woof. <laughs> yes, that makes Fro sense. Frog goes croak. 
Cool. If one of them is elephant goes toot. Which <laughs> I I did not remember that. Is it that's not what elephants say. Elephants say Arr! I'm gonna note for the listeners, um, we both raised our arms up like an elephant trunk because that is an integral part of the that's, noise. That's what you do. Don't <laughs> toot. That doesn't look, it doesn't even work. Toot. 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 No. All right. So at the time, I remember like people being like, "What? That's not what. That's not what elephants say." And oh, there was no. probably people some outraged about it. People get outraged about a lot of things. Um, so my research this week is all about onomatopoeia, which is a word I can never spell correctly on the first try. Um, researchers have long been puzzled about the fact that onomatopoeic words across different cultures don't sound the same, even when the sounds they represent do sound the same. So even if it's like an animal across all these different cultures, that will often be different. Yeah, animals don't sound different in different parts of right. the world. Right, right. Um, cows are pretty consistent. Cows moo just about everywhere. Um, but pigs are all over the place. Pigs- Again, I'm laughing. I'm sorry to interrupt. Because <laughs> cows go moo, but cows actually make a sound like, Catherine grew up with a lot of cows so she would know cows and um my my niece charlotte because she also grew up with cows at school and things and we have video of her going like chicken says fuck cat says meow cow says (laughs) i love it when i've met several little kids who have not very friendly cats when it's like what does the cat say cat says Exactly. You know, you know who, who lives with who. Yes. Cows say moo. Um, but pigs all over the place. Nor, nor, oink, groin, groin are some of the options. Nor, nor. Nor, nor. Nor, nor. That actually makes nor, nor. sense though. Yeah. Groin, groin. Groin, groin. Groin, 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 groin. Yeah, that, nope. I buy it. I buy it. Oink there- actually doesn't make, I actually think oink makes the least sense. So there are a lot of these. Um, so James Chapman, who got his PhD from the University of Manchester, actually, um, he created a, a comic series of different onomatopoeic bodily sounds um, across different cultures. And so he's he's got one for snoring in Vietnamese, Japanese, Polish, Korean, Bulgarian, and French. He did other ones for sneezes, eating, and clapping. Clapping, for instance, is clap, clap in English, but it's prok, prok in Indonesian, plek, plek in Portuguese, paki, paki in Japanese, and sta, sta in Arabic. I might, I probably pronounced some of those wrong. I'm doing my best. Um, And so no one can quite explain why these differences exist. And that's probably because we don't actually know how language began. And onomatopoeia is actually one of the theories of the origins of language. So there are at least five theories of the origins of language. And the onomatopoeia one is called the Bow Wow Theory. So really, really, oh, it really cool. is. It posits that human language developed when we started imitating natural sounds in the world around us, like animals or like the splash of a river or the thunk of a tree falling, and that we were imitating those sounds, and that's how we started language. Um, If you're curious about the other theories, there's the ding-dong theory, which- Oh, I'm definitely curious about (laughs) ding-dong theory. 
this was uh, Plato's theory. Well, I don't know if he he started it, but he ascribed to it, um, was that speech arose because we had essential questions about the environment and wanted to be in harmony with it. And so we were making sounds that put us in harmony with the environment. This played, Plato's a weird guy. Um, next God up. Bed. I <laughs> never have to teach Plato in an art history class. I just find myself 20 minutes deep rambling about God's bed and I can't do it. <laughs> Um, yeah. Next up is the La La theory, which posits, it's my favorite. I don't think it's, a, it doesn't hold up. No, actually, spoiler alert, literally none of these hold up to scrutiny, <laughs> but the La La theory is my favorite. It posits that language developed from play, love, and song, that we just like to make noises when we're happy and that that helped us develop language. I love that. Also, since you have put me so in a state of mind of like early- 2000s probably not even early maybe too early 2000s is, is this teletubbies no oh. <laughs> but now i'm gonna pretend the ashley simpson song la la do you know that song no <laughs> um i think the lyrics are you make me want a la la oh okay in the middle of the night which is probably about sex but i'm gonna probably. pretend it's about the la la theory of language and now i'm gonna encourage everyone to go listen and also watch that music video. It is so of its time. It's so of its time. Go watch Ashley Simpson Lala. So what she's really head. trying to tell us is you inspire me so much that I have to create new words to capture the inspiration you've given me. But the Lala theory is about song as yeah. well. So yeah. You have given me voice. That I just make me want a Lala theory of language. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, it was posed by Danish linguist Otto Jesperson. So maybe she. Uh, I think you mean top linguist <laughs> Ashley Simpson, but that's okay. <laughs> they can share. They can share. They can share. He probably footnotes her, I'm sure. Yeah. Citations, people. <laughs> Another is the poo poo theory, which <laughs> suggests that the earliest use of language was interjections of surprise and pain. So. <laughs> You know, the arg when you stub your toe. That was our oh, earliest. I don't know. I don't know where that one came from. Maybe Our maybe theory. that's an onomopoeic um, sound of pain in some culture that is not mine. Uh. Popo. <laughs> and then I'm finally, finally, there is the yo-he-ho theory, which says that language evolved from the sounds we make when we do physical exertion like work, like the... Hi-ho, hi-ho, you know, that. The, yo, like, ho, yo, ho, pirates. <laughs> Who names these? I mean, you just told me, but these are ridiculous names. Um, but like I said earlier, literally not one of these theories stands up to scrutiny. So we actually have no idea how language first arose. It's probably some combination of all of these different things and other things that we don't know about. Um, so I'm going to end my research segment with a few words that linguists think probably started out as onomatopoeia, and we don't usually think of them that way anymore. Cough, we believe, was probably originally Ooh. an onomatopoeia, which I think that one's pretty cough. I get that. Flicker. Flicker was probably originally onomatopoeia, I think it's because whatever the lights, the type of lights that they were, they made a sound. Um, and then mosquito is, they think, 
originally onomatopoeia because it comes from the Latin word for fly, which is masca. And that comes from the um, word, the moo, which meant fly in some proto language. And they think that was the mm sound of a buzzing. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that's my, that's my research. I love it. Thank you. Ironically enough, I am also for a brief period of time going to talk about onomatopoeic animal sounds, Michelle. What? Yeah. We, we, I promise you, we did not plan this. We didn't. Um, we kind <laughs> of, we a little bit did plan this research topic. I'll, I'll, I'll get into why. Oh, oh, I'm so excited. Do I get to know the answer? Is there an answer? There's not an answer. Michelle, life's best questions and best mysteries are often unsolved. I need it. I'm this listeners. I'm going to let the listeners in on this, which is (laughs) because I basically had to pry Michelle away from this. We recorded last (laughs) Last, like, two weeks ago when we recorded, it was pretty late. It was probably, like, 10.30 your time, 11 o'clock at night your time, and you were ready. You're like, no, let's let's find this out. Let's look. And I was like, Michelle, Go to bed. I'll make this my research. Um, and I tried. I really did. Michelle, I read JSTOR articles. JSTOR <sighs> articles. Let's get into it. There has to be an answer. Okay. So last week I talked about, I'm going to get my notes out because I have notes. There better be notes. I have JSTOR articles. I had to get. I want to see some highlights. I want to know that we. I had to get my institutional (laughs) access to JSTOR out, which I don't use often enough anymore. Okay. (laughs) So last week I talked to you all about snowmen a lot. And I talked about the miracle of 1511 and one of the ways we know how old snowmen are are images of them there was an image i was referring to which was a woodcut from a book that had from 1511 from the miracle of 1511 in which people are holding hands dancing around a snowman and i mentioned that image but i failed to mention that it had an inscription on it boy did it Boy, <laughs> and I left that out, but then I told Michelle afterwards. And, she and I, like, oh. I pulled it up on Wikipedia because I had to look at it for myself. Got it. It's an amazing image. If And again, if you Wikipedia snowman, it's there. And it's a great image. And I'm going to I'm going to dissect this image because I can't sleep. I, I'm obsessed with this now and there are no answers. So what is it? What is this inscription that drove Michelle and I crazy? The inscription around this marvelous image, right? People are holding hands. It's really cool. It says, it's been der Schnuffman, goob, goob, jagoob. What does that mean? I first off put it into Google Translate and they told me that it's Norwegian or Dutch. I speak enough German, which is tangentially related to already know, that's not telling us much, but basically, it's been der Schnurman, goo-goo-goo-joob, translates to, it's the snowman, goo-goo-goo-joob, That's not translatable. Um, I messed around with more translations. 
Google Translate told me, tried to tell me it was Somali. I'm like, no, it's not Somali. So the image itself is fascinating. I have some pet theories, which I will try to convince you of. Um, and then I have some probable answers. The image is fascinating because A, it has hockey sticks in it. And fun fact, we know from other paintings and our historical images, like um, paintings called like The Huntsman by Peter Bruegel that depicts something called the Little Ice Age during and around this time period. Part of the reason this was such a horrific winter was the world was going through in Europe, a mini ice age and it was colder. And so um, Peter Bruegel, the painter depicts this sometimes and in his paintings, he shows people playing hockey. So we know hockey existed. It's cool to see hockey sticks, but we know that. There's also in the corner of this image, a man kneeling down. So everyone's holding hands over here, but over here in the corner, there's a man kneeling down, looking very mystical. And he's appearing to be chanting or praying or summoning some wild looking magic stars. He's just like kneeling before these spiraling stars like going, ah, oh, is this a spell for summoning snowmen, Michelle? Was the miracle, why, people often are like, why was it called the miracle of 1511? Was the miracle that the snowmen came to life and through our prudish remembrance of history, we just think they were porno snowmen, but actually they all came to life because of a magic spell and the words, goo 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 unlock the life and gift of life to snowmen. Maybe. 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 Michelle's going to need more research. <laughs> but through my visual analysis. So it's there's... a weird image. Like something magical is happening in the corner. And we have, it's the snowman, untranslatable nonsense. Well, but in that untranslatable nonsense is a famous line from untranslatable nonsense in the Beatles song, which... For context, for my fascination here, you need to know that Catherine and I, when we were like, like, I don't know, I was probably like 12 and you were probably like 13 or 14, right? That we fell deep into the uh, Paul is dead Beatles theory. And um, that song is the I am the walrus, which was really into the, like, that was, I think, probably the cornerstone of the like Paul is dead theory. Yeah, right? We owned a book. We owned a book that we shared back and forth called The Walrus is Paul. Yeah which had all the conspiracy theories about how Paul McCartney died and they tried to cover up his death. Yeah, we spent entire afternoons looking at like the album covers and like they were like, well, this was the alternate album cover and they just pasted all these over. And this is, look at Paul looking up from his coffin and Paul's the barefoot one on Abbey Road because he's the corpse. And like, I mean, it was just, it was way, 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 way down the rabbit hole. Um, but like, obviously that song, the goo 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 like they they had to have gotten that from wherever this is from like there's yes. like it's too similar it's goo, too, i mean yeah goo 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 i am the Eggman. they're the Eggman. i am the walrus goo 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 it's the snowman goo 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 is it a is it a resurrection spell summoning resurrecting Paul McCartney like they raised the snowman to give him life after he died Michelle <laughs> is goop 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 a powerful resurrection is stuff? that what is that what J-Store said 
No. (laughs) (laughs) I could find no academic-based evidence outside of my own mind. And I am an academic. You are an academic. (laughs) That would support that this is a magical spell lost to time in history. But I knew you were going to say that. So the first thought I went is like, what is this Beatles song? I mean, early days of technology, your house had the hookup on some good tech to where we didn't have to play records backwards. We fed them into the computer and played the audio files backwards. So according to Beatles lore, this is lore, goob 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 are the last words, and you found this really quickly, are the last words uttered by Humpty Dumpty before his fall. Um, It was a very popular notion among the conspiracy theorists who were convinced that Paul McCartney had died in a mysterious accident and were looking for clues for his demise in Beatle lyrics, right? So, oh, right before he dies, he says this. Is that it? Um, There is nowhere, I did extensive research into Humpty Dumpty, which I will get into, never has he uttered those words that I could find in my research. Also Humpty Dumpty, that could be related to the song and that lore could be related to the Beatles song. Humpty Dumpty as a figure doesn't come into the world until the late 18th, early 19th century. And when was this? Cannot be related. This woodcut's from 1511. Okay. So Humpty Dumpty comes 300 years later. Yeah. So if anything. If Humpty Dumpty said it, he was trying to. He's getting it from this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Lennon has said, John Lennon, who wrote, I am the walrus, has just said a million things about it. He has said conflating things. What I found to be most convincing was when he was finished writing it, he said, there, that will fuck with them. Let them figure out this yeah, nonsense. Because at this point, like, they they were f- having fun with the people who were in The Fall is Dead. I mean, it was a definitely a back and forth between the fans and the Beatles by that point. Exactly. But he, so, I mean, he it was obviously got that from somewhere. It was baiting the conspiracy theorists. There's so much nonsense in the song. Like, it's not... Goo-goo-goo-goo, which shows up in a 1511 woodcut with mystical pornographic snowmen. Basically, John Lennon is an unreliable narrator, but he says he did write it to confound listeners, and um, he was partly inspired by two LSD trips and Lewis Carroll's poem, The Walrus and the Carpenter. Okay. Which is a creepy wall. So the walrus, I am the walrus, is from the Lewis Carroll poem, The Walrus and the Carpenter. Isn't that the one where they like eat the oysters? Am I remembering this right? Yes. Okay. The Eggman is Humpty Humpty Dumpty, Dumpty. also who shows up in Lewis Carroll. Guess who spent her week reading all of that? (laughs) All of it. I very much appreciate your dedication. I tried, Michelle. So I read all of it, not just Alice in Wonderland, but also like through the looking glass, all of it. And while um, actually the Humpty Dumpty part is very interesting. He talks about like onomatopoeias. He talks about like words that sound like other things, but have different meanings. Does not say goo 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 at all. Um, 
either does the either does the walrus and the carpenter that does not come up as a phrase here's another theory that it comes from james joyce's finnegan's wake i saw that but please tell me you did not read all of finnegan's wake this week oh i did well to be fair, I glossed it in Google Books. I was going to say, because isn't Finnegan's Wake the one that Joyce famously said, oh, yeah. like, it took me 30 years to write it. It should take you 30 years to read yes. it. Yes. <laughs> that one was more a quick Google Books okay. gloss. Okay. Fascinating things like Beckett, like how he included language in that. I learned a lot about like Samuel Beckett while he was writing, um, knocked on the door and said, come in. So he just wrote, come in. And then Beckett was like, why is that in there? He's like, because you said it. And he's like, let it be. Um, anyway, Another Beatles song. Ooh. I'm going to go ahead and pause. And if we're mentioning Beatles song, I do want to say, if I'm going to talk about my birthday, it is also my brother Benton's birthday. Same we have the birthday. same birthday. Not We're not twins. Nine years apart. Same birthday. And the Beatles song birthday I love that it exists. We always play it to each other on our birthday because it's such great. They say it's your birthday. It's my birthday too. Gonna have a good time. Perfect for birthday twins. Okay, so James Joyce Finnegan, wait, he does talk about Humpty Dumpty, but Goob 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 never appears. A lot of interesting language. No Goob Goob Goob. So while we can say I am the walrus is very much indebted to the language of Finnegan's Wake. John Lennon read it and loved it. Um, and it is very much indebted to Lewis Carroll for the characters of the walrus, the characters of the Eggman. No goob, goob, goob. The closest we can get in Finnegan's Wake, because I looked, he says at one point, goo goo goosh. And then another point says, Jubilee Jew. No, it's not the same. Not I mean, the same. If, if it wasn't so exact on the 1511, 1511, do I have that right? You're right. 1511. 1511. If it wasn't so exactly the same on the 1511 one as the Beatles song, I would accept that as like a middle between two points on the spectrum. But they're okay. just, I, they're the same. They're the same. They're the same. They're the same. Again, Humpty Dumpty is from the late 18th, early 19th century. The best I can tell, Humpty Dumpty was not an egg to start. Humpty Dumpty was kind of a colloquialism for anyone who was a drunkard. Fun oh. fact. Um, and it might have something to do with the Dutch language. Right? This, this language we're looking at is either Netherlandish or Dutch or something. And so I found something by William Carey Richards who quoted the poem Humpty Dumpty in 1843, commenting, quote, when we were five years old, the following parallel lines were propounded as a riddle. Humpty Dumpty, reader, is the Dutch or something else for an egg. And I was like, is this it? Is like there is like Humpty Dumpty in Dutch, goo 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 goo? Nope, um, very boring, it's I, just like German. And so that guy didn't know what he's talking about. Dead end. So then, then I read an article by Ben Zimmer, who writes for the New York Times. And he was also confounded by Goo Goo Gajoob in the Beatles song. He didn't know about the woodcut of 1511. 
And so he, I'm sure he listens to this podcast. So he will. Yeah. yeah. Ben Zimmer, we're going to get in there. So he, he was really interested in the fact that Mrs. Robinson and um, I'm the walrus came out really close. And the Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel song, Mrs. Robinson says, cuckoo, cuckoo. Oh, it does. Yeah. And there are rumors that Paul Simon heard Goo-Goo-Goo-Joop, liked it, but he misheard it as Cuckoo-Cuchoo. That makes sense. And so that might be connected. This doesn't give us the answers we want. Um, he said he believes, though, that the Goo-Goo-Goo-Joop and Cuckoo-Cuchoo are indirectly influenced by the catchphrase of the 1930s cartoon bombshell, Betty Boop, who says, boop, boop, a doop. I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. If it didn't, it's exact. I mean, it's this 1511 woodcutting that says it exactly. Yeah. Do you want to point out that the provenance of boop, boop, a doop is itself the subject of a lot of dispute? The singer Helen Kane claimed she was the originator of the phrase and she sued Betty Boop's creator, Mac Fleischer, for damages in 1934. Um, she didn't win the lawsuit, but, um, it was revealed that she had based her on the stylings of an African-American entertainer mm-hmm. named baby Esther. Yeah. I've read about that. The baby Esther. Yeah. Yeah. She was popular in Harlem's cotton club in the late 1920s. So just so you know, in, in a side note, cause I researched the hell out of this for you, Michelle, in a side note, I did learn about the Betty Boop was a ripoff of, um, that of that performer, Baby Esther. Where does this leave us? Where does this? Found a JSTOR article, an excellent, excellent, excellent JSTOR article. Um, And you know, I'm going deep. It was in the New Literary History, which is actually a very good journal. That's a very renowned journal. It's legit. Um, This article convinced me about why I love medievalists by Herman Plegi, and I'm, I know I'm mispronouncing that. It's P-L-E-J-I, Plegi. This article talks all about the miracle of 1511 and talks about where at least I think the woodcut comes from. Okay. So that is helpful. Before I tell you that, I do want to read my favorite line from this article, and why I love medieval art historians. Quote, he's talking about um, someone who wrote about the miracle of 1511 and describing how he described all the snowmen that were built. My favorite line from it is, quote, he describes, for instance, a cow that delivers turds, farts, and stinking, despite the fact that on account of its snowy nature, it never eats or drinks. The academic rigor to write that is beautiful. (laughs) But here's another line. Now, remember, remember the snow cow that delivers turds, farts, and stinking. Delivers them. He he delivers, Michelle, he delivers them. Second quote, proving my point with (laughs) academic sources that you would accept as a teacher, I would accept as a teacher. Quote, Anyway, what I'm not doing this in a good order, but what he's writing about is a poem by a poet from Brussels named Jan Smeken. And Jan Smeken 
lived in Brussels where the miracle of 1511 happened. He wrote this poem about it. We have this huge. Is he a contemporary or is he writing about it like years later? Like in the moment. In the moment. Okay. He wrote about it at the time. Okay. And so what this article is about is about this poem, about how it got translated and how it can better help us understand the miracle of 1511. And so he says he, being Jan Smekin, who wrote the poem. And so my theory is, and from what I've assessed from this, is that this woodcut was an illustration for a print edition of the poem by Jan Smekin. Okay. Did I go and try to find the whole poem by Jan Smekin? Yes. Does it ever say goo 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 No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Does I'm going to read you this mean? quote from the article by Herman Pleiji. <laughs> he, and he being Jan Smekin, who described the scene, wrote about farting turd cows. Um, he wittily suggests all sorts of interactions between the snowmen who could not have been expected to move of their own volition, or could they? Or could they, Michelle? Goo 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 Because they were alive, goo 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 Jan Smekin's talking about the snowmen dancing with each other. Jan Smekin's talking about snow cows running around farting. Because they've been brought to life by some Because they have been brought to life by the incantation. Goo 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 And it was such a horror in 1511 that no one dared let this knowledge out into the world. No one wrote it down again, except slipped out in this little woodcut. And because of Wikipedia, which we can pre-link to all this digital data that we don't even know has ties to anything anymore, all these broken, broken links, links of Flash. This is like a historical broken Flash link of knowledge that will bring Snowman to life. John Lennon somehow learned about it and tried to bring Paul McCartney back to life in that song. Done. You know what? To be I'll, fair, though, to be fair, the reason I think it's in, if, I, if, you, if you pressed me, I think he, um, he talks, John Lennon talks a lot about how much he likes Finnegan's Wake. There's a lot of ladder words, and I don't quite remember what a ladder word is. There's a ton of ladder words and ladder phrases in that song, and people try to say, goo 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 is that, or it's an onomatopoeia. At the end of the day... It might just be the sound a walrus makes. <gasps> it might be John Lennon making the sound a walrus but makes. But then that... Were there, were there snowmen walruses in the Miracle of 1511? There's no way to link I am the walrus to the Miracle of 1511 unless it is about resurrection spells. All right. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to allow it because I need there to be a link. It my brain knows there's a link. So if that's the best one we have right now, it's just too specific. It's goo 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 goo. Just it's too specific to also not have a meaning anywhere else, right? Like nowhere to be found. The only thing I could find is a jagoob is like this character in some stupid app game. Not fifteen eleven. Like not even nineteen sixty. What, it's what, not it. It's not 68 it. 68 or whenever good, the Beatles. I'm a good researcher, Michelle. 70 something. I worked yes, really you are. hard. I am, I'm really proud of your work, and I'm really glad that you did it because I would have just stayed up for the rest of that night if I had kept going what? down that rabbit hole. I read so much Lewis Carroll. 
I read a lot of Finnegan's Wake. I that JSTOR article is great. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I cannot just I just want to shout out medievalists because again to say, despite the fact on account of its snowy nature, it never eats her drinks. <laughs> on the, on account of its snowy nature, in case you've forgotten that we were talking about a snow cow. But again, are we? <laughs> or does it? <laughs> or can look at the image. Go look, go to Wikipedia, people. Look at that image. What is the man in the corner kneeling and praying to stars doing? He is saying, goo, goo, gajoo. He is. Bring the snowman to life. <laughs> and it does. And then and they... that's why Paul McCartney is the, oh, is Ringo Starr still alive? Um, I think Ringo's still alive, isn't he? I hope I don't inadvertently kill Ringo Starr. Every time I ask if a musician is still alive, they die within the month. I I killed, I killed many musicians that way. I killed David Bowie, Michelle. I, well, goo 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 jube that. My goodness. Goo 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 jube to Ringo Starr. Goo 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 jube to Ringo Starr. I did kill Leonard Cohen that way. I asked Leonard Cohen still alive. Three days later, dead. Um, but I I'm gonna say it here now. Paul McCartney's gonna outlive them all. Because he has been resurrected with the power of goo 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 joop. <sighs> I'm I sound that was like a, a journey. Maniac. <laughs> that was a journey. If anyone wants an insight into how I do my academic research, you just got it, man. <laughs> there, there's the process laid out it for takes you. 70% Wikipedia, 20% <laughs> JSTOR, 10% me going, oh, maybe this is the idea. I'm gonna support it with all I have. <sighs> I wasn't so convinced when we started, but now I am convinced that it's a magical. I mean, you you made a good case. I'm just I'm a skeptical person. I, you know what I need to do now? I need to look into the folklore of like Frosty the Snowman and where does that yeah, originate? How does he become alive? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is I mean, continued. This is just gonna be my research <laughs> for the. <laughs> it's just gonna be called. A podcast about me going mad Enchanted. about snowmen. <laughs> so, I what do you think, Michelle? What's your? Do you have any? I just i I know that there is a link, and you may be right. But but even if it is a magical enchantment, like why don't we know that? Like. Why is there no information on what that phrase means? It obviously means too powerful. Something. It's too powerful. It can't get out. <sighs> well, now we know. So hopefully we're safe. I don't know. I'm, I destroyed my snowman before I uh, said these words on this podcast all night. So. Especially since his face was full of spiky carrots. Well, not anymore. Yeah. The deer ate them. To be fair, he melted. <laughs> <laughs> um, Somewhere there is a puddle of water animating itself out of your ground right now. <laughs> I looked very scared. No, I I just love this kind of thing. I love it's so link. It has to be a link. There ha- it has to be. I'm just gonna put it out there for everyone who's listening because it's a very cool image. And it's just goop 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 goop, man. Goop 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 in 1511. John Levin and uh, John Levin. John Lennon, maybe that maybe he went back in time on his LSD trip, man. Maybe. I would, okay. I'm not around to ask. So I know we've gone on and on, but 
we have a surprise. We have our second grab bag. Woo! And Catherine and I have not heard it. We're going to play it. Oh, this is a subs- I I encourage everyone to do grab bags and I'm legit excited cuz we have not heard it. We're playing it live right now for now. you. Hello and Green Mint podcast. Uh, this is Grant, and I am long time, long time listener, first time grab bagger, I guess. Um, so I am going to start off by this is this trying to do this was agonizing for me. Uh, I it's like both of you make this look incredibly easy, and I think this is just something that it's like anyone who is now going to try to do a grab bag is this is almost impossible. I found uh, every single idea I had that I wanted to write a grab bag for was just I kept second guessing myself and kept going, No, this is pretentious, this is not interesting. It was it's incredibly difficult, and I still have ended up deciding something that, in all honesty, I still think is a little pretentious and difficult, and hopefully I'll do a decent job of summarizing this and talking about uh, the idea. So this is a research thing, and this is something that I'll say is just like, it's from something that I'm I've been writing and currently working on. It's like a little little part of that. It's only a kind of a side side part. But um, so what I wanted to talk about was the fact that uh, a lot of our understanding about what emotions are um, result like in experiments that had to do with something called a planchette, which is actually an automatic writing. And so a planchette is a thing that if you use a Ouija board, it's like the thing that you push around on a Ouija board. And like in the earliest form around like 1900, um, what that was instead of like a pointer on a Ouija board, you'd put like a pencil in it and you'd push it around. And so there's a lot of stuff that like some of William James's early experiments about like what emotions are and his idea that like the, the body actually responds faster than conscious knowledge. The experiments were that were with these planchettes and automatic writing is he'd bring people into his laboratory and they'd kind of push it around and then say, it's like, oh, I couldn't understand. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know my writing. And so he concluded from that, that people's conscious awareness doesn't really matter that much. What actually matters is something that's before consciousness. Now, what I'm actually going to talk about is more something that moves from this is so one of, um, one of William James students at that time was Gertrude Stein and Gertrude Stein actually has written a number of things about being a student, a psychology student at Harvard and Radcliffe at this particular moment in time. And if you're not familiar with Gertrude Stein, she's a really, really important modernist writer and poet, American modernist. Um, like, I didn't want to read, like, prose poetry on this for you, but to give a sense for people that don't know, this is like she has a very famous book called Tender Buttons, and it's like a lot of it is just descriptions, supposedly descriptions of things, but it's clearly what she's interested in is kind of like how words sound. So like one thing in it is called like nothing elegant. And it goes like this. A charm, a single charm is doubtful. 
if the red is rose and there is a gate surrounding it, if inside is let in and their place is changed, then certainly something is upright. It is earnest. And, and the various other examples of things from Tender Buttons, I mean, that was kind of a short excerpt, but they're all kind of like that. Some of them are about food, or they say they're about food. These ones are all about objects. Um, and so they're all kind of these things about, like, words, what they sound like, and so on. Well, one of the things that Gertrude Stein did um, when she was a college student was basically she recreated some of these experiments with automatic writing and the planchette that William James did to come up with well, what is an emotion? And she has a paper that was co-written called Normal Motor Automatism, in which she uses and does with herself like automatic writing and various other things with planchettes and coming to the conclusion that, well, there's a second personality or person that exists beneath consciousness um, for each human being, is that our real persona, real personality is actually something that precedes consciousness. And the way they figure that out as well was these spiritualist techniques and things like that. Well, a bunch of years later, I guess because of the fact that he really hated um, her writing, the psychologist B.F. Skinner, who, um, if you've ever heard of a Skinner box, is one of the people, like, that's named for B.F. Skinner. And he's foundation of what's called behaviorism, um, if you're familiar with things like cognitive behavioral therapy, that kind of descends from B.F. Skinner. It's the idea that you can change people's behaviors by like stimulus response sort of things. Um, B.F. Skinner apparently hated Gertrude Stein and wrote an article in Harper's Magazine that basically said uh, all of Gertrude Stein's writing, she never consciously wrote it. She just used automatic writing to make it. So all this stuff, the fact that the words in tender buttons might sound nice but don't make any sense in terms of how language is usually used, well, that's because no actual person was thinking and writing it. So that's kind of what I wanted to say, and I kind of feel, again, very silly with this uh, grab bag. Hopefully you'll have something interesting to say. I feel... <laughs> I just... Uh, this is again this has caused me a great deal of anxiety <laughs> i feel like even though i'm helping participate i feel like i'm letting you down by having something that's not as interesting as what both of you would just be able to do on your own so i guess here's saying um catherine and michelle i think your podcast is amazing and I think this is not even remotely as good as the sort of things that you would just do on your own. Or I hope it is. I don't know. Okay, uh, thanks. Hopefully this is a decent grab bag. All right, bye. Oh, it was a wonderful grab bag. It was fascinating. Amazing grab bag. And so interdisciplinary. Like I just, yeah, there's so much in there. The minute I heard how words sound. How words sound. What? We are obviously, we, I promise you, listeners, that we did not coordinate in any way. This is all happenstance. All happenstance. Oh, man. And I almost was like, we're going too long. Let's do this I, later. No, it needed to be here. Oh, it was meant to be because it's about language and how words sound. Oh, my goodness. The alligator. And we've been talking about like, sexism a little the allegations that this wasn't written Those by her people. words she, she yeah she's not even human oh that yeah mm, all right so to recap real quick because this I, this has been a long one but yeah i think 
obviously okay. we're covering some very important ground here. So yeah. it had to be. Um, our weird things were me wondering what's going to happen to all of the outdated stuff on the internet as it becomes relics and... My fact that bees like caffeine and it improves their memories. The pop culture things were um, Amanda Richards' tweet about Nicola Coughlin and um, calling her the fat girl from Bridgerton, to which Coughlin responded, I have a name. And my anger about the fact that Paper Source, the big stationary conglomerate, is... Has, has declared bankruptcy after making purchases with small businesses, potentially putting them out of business. And our research things were, I looked at onomatopoeia across different cultures and its relationship to the probably not correct theories of language beginnings. And my research thing, I attempted to figure out what the woodcut from the miracle of 1511 that says, it's the snowman, Goo goo gajoob, what that meant and how it was obviously connected to the Beatles song I'm the Walrus, leading me to very reasonably conclude that the phrase goo goo gajoob can bring Praise things back dead. to life. Including and then we finally had our grab bag, which was fantastic. Fantastic and touched me. Those were really kind words. Thank you, Grant. And fascinating. I love Gertrude Stein. I love Ouija boards, which you use a planchette on. Um, yeah, the theory that her book, Tender Buttons, might not have been written by her, by Angry Skinner, and that she was a student of William James. <clears throat> and and it, her poetry was kind of built out of this love of the way words sound, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah, and we've been talking so much about onomatopoeias and how words sound and how they sound differently than different people and walrus noises. And fox sex. Fox sex. Thanks, mom. <laughs> um, All right. So there's ob- there's some that have some obvious connections, right? Like the... The u- so I feel like the use of language and the way that words sound is very clear in all three research things. But I also think that the like the like you you said it earlier, the missing link in um, the move from the different stuff on the internet, right? Like, well, how do you get it from what was the technology of the time to what now is accepted without having to put in all of that labor of moving it over. And I feel like there's some missing links. I, I, I would even say that like the lady fingers letterpress could probably even be connected there. Right. Cause I feel like what's, what's the name of the store that's wronging them. I can't remember. Paper source, paper source, angry at paper uh, source. Like lady fingers letterpress was kind of operating off of this sort of like handshake de- this small business, you're going to do right by us. This is what we do. We're going to work really hard to get this big order together for you. And paper source was operating off of this giant corporate mentality of like, we'll just file for bankruptcy. Then we won't have to do like, there was a missing link in their business endeavor. Right. And Um, missing links that, um, what am I trying to say? That really just maddening or totally confusing missing links that maybe don't even need to be there. Like the projection of um, 
what was the Richards? The, Richards. Well, it's like reaction onto her. Richards is trying to pretend that we're already in a world where the word fat doesn't have a negative connotation and acting like anybody who feels like it has a negative connotation, even if it was a word that was used against them, is is being like somehow retro or um, stilted. And it's like, no, you're you're ignoring the actual context of the world around you. You didn't you didn't do the link. You didn't do the work of getting that word there. You know, well, still very much being in a headspace of, oh, we've all been there where we have to cover our body. up. Yeah. Right. So she's both trying to be too much in a utopic world that doesn't exist while seemingly trapped in her own mind of that like dystopic world where cover up your arms, ladies, if you're over X weight. Without doing the link to put those the progression between, you know, you didn't you didn't do the work to get to that utopic worldview. Right. Not only did we not do it as a society, but it would seem like maybe you didn't do it as an individual either. That you're trying yeah. to just skip there without actually putting the work into it. And then there's obviously a missing link between the goo goo jubes, not for Catherine's lack of trying. No, no, no. But that, but that's what makes it so fascinating. If I had just been able to tell you goo 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 is the sound Humpty Dumpty made when he fell off the wall. And we could trace it through all these pieces of literature. We can trace it from this nursery rhyme that went to this nursery rhyme and John Lennon heard it as a child. I would be so bored. I'd be so bored. And I know we all want answers. I almost don't want answers. The missing link of how they are so obviously connected. And yet in this day and age, we can't figure it out. We can't figure it out. That is magic. Oh, that missing link's magic. And then I guess the missing, I don't know how that applies to bees. The bees. I feel like there's a link directly between, um, you storing storing the blog post and those getting erased and memory and caffeine helps bees memory. Well, but that everything we're talking about here is kind of cultural memory in some way, right? Yeah, and memory is a link. Yeah, right. I mean, like, what is memory? And when it comes to language, I mean, all language is built through memory, right? Like we talked about the how mosquito is an onomatopoeic word. In its and origin. then we lose that. We lose that knowledge. So it's yeah. just the word mosquito. And we don't think it ever did. Done. Boom. And bees fly like mosquitoes do. <laughs> so what's our, how do we fortune cookie that? It's something about like links, bridges, missing links. Memories, memories and missing links. Is it that, like, because sometimes you want them filled. Here's, here's where I'm having trouble with our fortune cookie. Half of these things... It's a, it's a flaw. It's a problem. It's a flaw. And some of them, it's the strength. It, or just fun. But it's not the fun of it with the Richardson. <laughs> That's, it's no. Um, yeah, and it's not going to be the fun of it for this internet stuff either. Like, that's not. Or the Ladyfingers letterpress. Right, right. So is it something like, be careful which links you miss? Like, be careful like, what you link for. <laughs> <laughs> be careful. I. You know what? I don't hate it. Be careful what you link for. Be careful what you link for. I'll go. Wait, I'll go with it. Shall it be critical. I know it's been no. long, but be careful what you link for. Be careful what you link for. But I'll also, that it. works. That works for the Richardson. Like she was projecting, she was mm-hmm. making those links, and they were not there. To yeah, be that was all on her. Like, don't universalize. Know when you are reaching out to the world to form productive links. 
No one you're not. No, yeah. Be no careful one. what you link for. Yeah. I saw the sell it. Did yeah, I you sold it. You said, I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold. I'm okay. still deeply wanting my Google Goo Goo link, but oh, don't you worry. Uh <laughs> don't you worry. I'm scheduling time on my academic calendar right now to look into snowman resurrection mythology. That's next up. Because Frosty the Snowman came to life. He does come to life. What and it's it's kind of creepy, right? Like yeah. yeah, and it's sad. I am so sorry, everyone. But if I do, <laughs> if I do find something interesting about this, this will become a long-term research project. I will try to publish on this. I am going to go try and find the author of this JSTOR article and see if he wants to collaborate with me. I love my job. This is what I do. You're you're getting you're getting the sausage being get the made. Snowman. Getting the snowman being made. Okay, so be careful what you link for. There you have it. And thank you again. Thank you, Grant, for that grab bag. Yes, it was fantastic. We hope that has inspired all of you to give us some grab bags because look at how much that enriched our conversation. Once it really did. That that discussion of the sound of words was just, Catherine and I, you couldn't see us, but we were both like pointing at each other really excitedly like, hey there, that's that's the thing. (laughs) It was the surprise of it. I loved it. Please give us that thrill. It packed so much in to such a short, like, it was only like well six done. minutes and packed all this. Yeah, fantastic. That was that's that that's a high a high set, bar to set. Setting the, but, setting the bar high. But like you said, it was hard. So you can struggle. We're we're here. It's a safe space. We understand. No judgment. Until next episode. <laughs> Bye, Goodbye. everyone.